We are all connected. So join me as I talk to like-minded people about topics that are appropriate to the current times we are living in. My name is Lerato Shabalala and this is Relevant. Everybody beyond our borders, welcome to another episode of Relevant with me, Lerato Shabalala. I'm incredibly excited to uh, be talking to my next uh, guest today. I think she, he is he is a phenomenal um, individual. Remember, you can catch uh, uh, this podcast on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. We're also on Iona and Player FM, but you can also go to my website, liratoshabalala.com, to get the latest and listen to previous um, episodes as well. And if you want to see this interview, just go to my YouTube channel. As I said, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, our next guest. Um, he, um, like me, is a journalist. He is a phenomenal individual who has really made uh, a big splash in terms of headlines, in terms of uh, stories. He is the editor of African Times. He is the president of the Forum of Journalists for Transformation. And he has been nominated for every kind of award you can think of, um, from the CNN Africa Journalist of the Year Award to the Vodacom, Vodacom Journalist of the Year to the City Press Journalist of the Year. So he's very, very highly acclaimed. Please help me welcome Mr. Pete Rampeji. Pete, how are you? Uh, Lerato, thanks very much um, for having me and um, you know, good afternoon to your listeners. Thank you, thank you so, so very much. So Pete, both you and I um, come from that uh, uh, once a revered institute called the Sunday Times. Um, I was there for about five years editing Sunday Times Lifestyle. And of course, you were there for an incredibly long time. And I think what is really, as an investigative journalist, I think what is really uh, fascinating for me and something that I was thinking, what do I start off with with you is as journalists, you know, we are often uh, taught that um, you never insert yourself into a story. You, um, you're never at the center of any story. And recently, I would even say over the last four years, you have become at the center of the story yourself. How is that for a journalist to find yourself being the story, to find yourself being interviewed and to find yourself having people having opinions about you and writing columns about you what is that like as a journalist look um it's something that you obviously um do not have control over as a journalist but i can tell you Lerato, that um, very few journalists uh, would actually prefer to be a story um, i ended up being a story or being spoken about not because uh, that's what i wanted but um, you know, it, it, it has been more about the kinds of stories that I do, and secondly, um, you know, what would have happened after those stories. Uh, mm. So sometimes you find that people are excited because I broke the story, but people uh, sometimes are also uh, not entirely happy because I broke a story about people that uh, they they like, and and the story would have been casting them in a negative light. So sometimes you find that people have already adopted an attitude towards you and those stories uh, when they write media reviews, 
uh, those reviews are negative or they say a lot of things about you. And uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, you also have people who are excited about those stories and the review is positive. So I, I would say that over, over the past uh, five to six years, um, uh, you know, I, I, I have been under the spotlight, uh, mostly because of the stories that I do. And, and, and sometimes you've got people who think that um, they like your work because you give them what they regard as alternative perspectives mm-hmm. uh, to news coverage. And while others are saying no, but uh, the fact that you're not uh, you know, following a dominant narrative means that uh, there should be something wrong with you. Uh, so so I, 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 I've been treated like that by mainly my media colleagues uh, uh, and, and sometimes even by ordinary people, but it's not something that bothers me uh, uh, per se because I don't think we are in journalism uh, to uh, please each other. Okay. Uh, I think we are there to inform the public and give them uh, the news as we see them. And and for me, the mistake that uh, you would want to commit as an individual is to try and allow your personal opinion to determine the news or try to uh, do journalism simply because you want a sense of belonging and, and, and you, you, you avoid what is really a story simply because you want uh, the people who are covering other angles to like you and see you as one of them. I, I don't think that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, I think you mentioned such an important thing because I realized that in 2016, when my book, The Way I See It, came out and people were really divided down the middle and it was uh, based on an extract that had been in the Sunday Times. They could have chosen any other extract, but they chose that particular one. And as I said at the time, um, people have to sell newspapers. So in a sense, you kind of go, okay, you found the low hanging fruit and you use them. So that's also okay. And I, I also realized what you were talking about, about um, not, not it being a popularity contest. You know what I mean? You being there to do a job and to um, um, go it, with whatever the truth is. Uh, essentially, that's what we, I think, as journalists try to uh, strive for, which is being on the side of the truth. And so I guess I want to start at the beginning because I think a lot of stuff, if you go online, you'll be able to find a lot of stuff on Pete, everybody. But I think that it's nice to be um, introduced to the man properly. So how did you uh, become a journalist? You know, I want to know what were the things that pulled you towards the um, profession and were there people whose names uh, you you revered, so people whose work you revered, people whom you love reading. How did you end up um, choosing journalism as a career? Look, I, I, I would say I started, you know, developing interest in journalism when I was in grade 10. Um, I attended my high school in Limpopo, um, uh, you know, in Zanin. And around that time, uh, until um, I was in grade 10, Mm. My interest, actually, like many other um, people in the rural areas, was to, be, to become a lawyer. And, and, and most of my teachers were saying that you make a good lawyer because you're good in history, you're part of the school debate, debating team, and, and, and you know, your English is, is um, relatively good. So we think you must do law. So for a long time, when I was in high school, um, um, you know, uh, I, I, I was convinced that I was going to follow law. 
I remember even one of the history teachers at the time who also happened to be uh, the school principal and had always said that, you know what, you'll make a very good lawyer. Uh, you must uh, apply at the University of Limpopo and then go there. Uh, please don't waste your time. But, but, but when I was um, in grade 10, I started, you know, uh, listening to uh, a lot of news, especially on radio, uh, SABC, uh, Indigenous Language Radio Stations. So I, I, I started developing a lot of interest in current affairs. And then, and then I also had a lot of people uh, saying to me, but you seem to like news so much and have heard about journalism. And then that was my uh, English teacher then, um, a man called Mr. Staba, who said, no, have you heard about this course? At the time, I was not necessarily clued up about it. Uh, but what they did was that um, he then um, gave me a, a career book called A to Z of Careers. I said, no, no, okay. read it and then understand what's happening about journalism. I, I, I went through that book and then I could also see that there were other institutions which specialized in it, especially uh, the former technical northern Gauteng. So, so I started researching about it, and 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 but the the final decision took place uh, when I was in grade uh, ten uh, at the beginning of uh, grade ten, simply because they arranged a tour to the SABC's headquarters in 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 Joburg. So we, we went there as a group of matriculants and we were given that tour and then I met some of, uh, you know, my childhood idols, uh, the, the news presenters for Spady TV News. I met uh, people like Lahana Tsuteti. I met a lot of other people. And I think uh, from there on, I was like, no, uh, this is, uh, you know, this is the deal. Uh, uh, it's a done deal. I don't think I'm going to, uh, you know, consider anything else. Immediately when we we we, we left um, um, the SABC Open Park Studios, we were taken to the former Rand Africans um, University Rao, yeah. were given a tour there, and then we were also taken to the Advertising Standard Authority. Uh, we were given a tour. They were taken to the Mnet uh, Studios in Randbeck. By the time I, I I arrived back home in Zanin, I knew that I wanted to be a journalist, and then. Uh, uh, my teachers then assisted me. Remember at the time there were no emails, uh, we didn't have access to emails, uh, at least um, uh, in my school. So um, the applications were done manually at the time. So so, so uh, you had to literally get somebody who was in Joburg to either uh, bring you an application form or you had to write a letter. Mm. But, but with me, I actually had to write a letter, post it to um, Rao, and applying um, uh, you know, for admission to study journalism. And then two months later, uh, you know, I got a, 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 a big surprise you know, when they were giving people uh, um, you know, their, their post. And you know, at the time, they'll just call so-and-so, and then you're queuing there, and you go there yeah. and get your, your post. And then it's a big envelope. When I opened it, those were application forms uh, for Rao, and then I filled in the forms. Return them as soon as possible, and then I was admitted. Oh, I mean, I think our stories are so similar in terms of how we got into journalism because I also was in the debating team, um, mm. and I also thought I was going to do law, and I actually went and I investigated it, <laughs> and then I realized, oh, in law, it's about the reasonable man. So it's 
if it's only if you can disprove what the other person is trying to say. And then I realized I was going to have to defend criminals. You know, that <laughs> the truth was not really important. It was what you could argue. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I, <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> you know, and then I heard the church be in school for like seven years and they'd pay. I was just like, no, 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 no. And I also happened to stumble upon journalism um, in in that way, like in my last year in the trick, I thought, okay, I need to make a decision. And I and I had been reading newspapers. My father used to buy the Sunday papers and sit on a Sunday in Soweto Ezola, reading them. You know, me, my sister, my my entire family. So that's how I ended up coming into it. So I want to ask you, what were some of your ideals? So. For instance, I didn't realize that like the court reporting, you know, was some of the things that you, you needed to do. And I was like, ah, 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 ah. Like, I don't want to do such things. And I, and I decided instead that I would go towards magazine writing. That in itself, uh-huh. and I will talk about transformation uh, uh, in, in a minute, but that in itself was a way of me thinking, oh, you know, I like fashion, I like whatever it's less political. And then I found Uh that (laughs) it doesn't matter where you are in journalism, you're going to get into a political space, whether you like it or not. So what were some of your ideals? What did you think it was going to be like, as opposed to the reality, you know, because I think um, everybody, when they go after a career, they have a vision in their mind of how it is going to be. And then there's the reality. What are the, some of the things you discovered the more you got promoted and got into it that you were like, oh, so this is not the way I thought. Or oh, maybe it lived up to your expectations, but what was it like for you? No, I, I think what I had in mind um, when I became a journalist, or I studied towards um, journalism, you know, in, in, the, in the old days, um, you had news presenters. You know, those guys that you saw sitting there in the studios and reading news and, and they were like, you know, celebrities and their faces were beamed all over the billboards whenever you traveled and, and they were like real celebrities. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't speak about Lehana uh, uh, uh you know, in, our, in my community at the time, mm. especially among the elderly and, and, and have a single one of them saying, who's that? Yeah. You know, so, so for me, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was looking forward to becoming this uh, TV news presenter, sitting in the studio, and, and, and little did I know that journalism was actually more than just sitting in the studio and then being a celebrity and being somebody who um, uh, inspired uh, uh, young people because they see your face on TV every night. When I, I eventually graduated and started practicing as a journalist, I, I realized that uh, TV news presenting was actually different from journalism. You know, mm-hmm. I had expected to, to sit in the studio and read news. I was told, no, 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 this is not how it works. In actual fact, those people are news presenters. You are a journalist. You are actually a field reporter who will be mm-hmm. sending you out there uh, to go and, and, and cover stories. And, and, and guess what? The first story that I, I, I covered as an intern, and then I, I was um, shadowing uh, at, at ETV, a guy called Faisal Cook. I don't know whether you still remember Faisal yes, Cook. Yes, yes. He was a TV reporter at the time. So the first story that I joined him on uh, was actually a strike in Alexander. Yeah. Uh, you remember the time, um, in fact, not, not even Alexander, it was in Soweto. Mm. You remember the time they, the there was a, a group 
no, no, no. It, it was oh. it, remember that time there was a group called the Soweto Electricity Crisis Committee, oh, led yes. by Trevor Van. Yes. Yeah, those guys who used to march all over Soweto and then trying to prevent people from the municipality from cutting off electricity and then causing a lot of mayhem. So I went uh, 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 with him. And and when those people started, uh, you know, marching there, police came and started, you know, throwing tear gas at them. You know, it was just chaos. And for me, it was like, ah, oh, no, no, this is not what I bargained for. <laughs> and, 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 and I remember when I got to the office, I was, you know, a bit shaken. And I was like, but really, is this what I want to do? Yeah. But, but the more I spent time um, at ETV and then going out with them, mm-hmm. and my next assignment, I was with um, Kali Maestri, who went to Alexander. And then I remember um, they were like, no, don't want to try sports as well. I went out with Edwin Haswe, you know, uh, when we came back, it was like, yeah, I found a press conference, like, nah, this is not what I want. I'm going to sit there <laughs> with this guy, the boardroom, and they interview these people that come out. That's like, no, this is not what I want. I mean, the action that I was, um, I got exposed to in Alexander and, 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 and so it, that's what I want to do. And, and, and then the next story, I think I went to, the um, uh, Pretoria Magistrates Regional Court with, um, I don't know whether you still remember, Ntiveng Matiwela. Mm. I went there and then, you know, she was ca- covering the Sambo case. Remember that Sambo case, um, the corruption involving uh, people's pensions? Yes. And then she was having a like, nah, this is the real thing for me. Mm. This is what I want to do. I'm not going to go and enjoy sports or do other things. It's not as bad as I thought because I was in court. And then, you know, we listened there and then she came out, did a piece to camera. I'm like, no, no, this, this is what I can do. I, you know, <laughs> but, but, but initially I was, I was a bit concerned because it's like, ah, no, 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 this is not what I bargained. I ran for the hills, Pete. I won't even lie to you. I ran straight for the hills. I was like, I am not going to be running. Please take me where I can interview people about their shops, about their fashion lines. That's what I decided to do because I realized um, it was not for me. I just didn't have the stomach for it. So am I right in saying you're a little bit of a thrill seeker? Because what I realized about investigating uh, journalists, and I've known uh, many throughout uh, the newsroom, particularly at the Sunday Times, from people like Rob Rose to Muziligazwa Africa. So to mm-hmm. Jessica Pazadenhort. You know, there are many, many um, investigative journalists out there, Felicia Opelt. And so I realized you had to be a certain kind of personality. Like I just, <laughs> like I said, I don't have the stomach for it. So when did you realize like, okay, I'm a thrill seeker um, and I, I now have sources, you know, because the, the thing about the kind of journalism you do um, is that it does require to, you to have a trust relationship with people. When did you realize, I think I can take this seriously. I think I have enough people to break big stories, to break um, even mildly dangerous stories. How, how come you were drawn to that and you weren't like some of us who were just like, ooh, because eh, eh. as you say, your initial instinct was like, yo, I'm shaking. But then a bug bit you. Something um, happened. Are you one of those people when you go to Gold City, you're on the anaconda doing the most dangerous? <laughs> Are you one of those people? I, 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 I am actually not. I'm, I'm, I'm quite the opposite of that, you know. 
uh, in real life, I, I, I am not the kind of guy that um, likes picking up fights, you know, I'm too reserved. But, but I realized um, sometime uh, around 20, 2008, mm. when I left um, City Press, I mean, I left SABC, uh, because I started my career as a TV news reporter. Mm. Then, then, but at the time I joined City Press in 2008, I realized that um, I had been, whenever I bought newspapers, I realized that um, um, you know my first interest um, was um, you know serious stories of corruption and all these kind of things, as opposed to some of my colleagues in the newsroom. Because and at the SABC, I I, I, I don't know where you, you started. They they had. Um, I started at National Pers. <laughs> yeah, so, so, for the newsroom, for the newsroom, they had um, like a lot of daily. Uh, dailies and uh, maybe five per, 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 per each edition and then but for the mail and guardian for example they would have one they had one or two editions so 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 i realized that i was always among the first people uh to go for the mail and guardian uh, whenever um the papers were delivered and the rest of the guys will start with the Soweto and the star and i'll start with the mail and guardian and i also realized that um i was drawn to you know all these corruption stories remember at the time uh, some of the main stories were about um, the arms deal. I remember when the arms deal investigations started. Uh, you know, I, I was so drawn to that story to a point that I hardly missed, uh, uh, you know, any of the stories. I also realized that at the time I was also more interested in what the NPA and the Scorpions were doing. You know, mm. uh, you know the raids, uh, uh, them, uh, you know, uh, rounding up all these top criminals and then. Uh, Taking them to court, I was so interested in that, and I realized that perhaps this is what um, uh, where my interest lies. Uh, but I, I I then started, you know, uh, uh, doing a, b a bit of um, minor investigative stories when I joined City Press because uh, I felt that in, in fact it was one of the reasons why I decided to leave um, the SAPC for City Press because I felt that um, you know it was not an environment to pursue investigative journalism. And at the time, you know, uh, um, you had to, um, you know, uh, do at least a single story per day. There was no time to investigate anything. And 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 whenever I looked at the people who were working for the weeklies, you know, Zilika at the time, uh, Jessica Bezaden Holt at the time, and 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 a whole lot of other people, and 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 some soul, uh, regardless of of you know uh, how they feel about me, uh, your some soul, they actually inspired me because. Yeah. Uh, did brilliant investigative journalism uh, when he was at the MNG alongside Stefan Bruma and many other people. So, so, so I, re I realized that I actually liked their brand of journalism. And, and when I joined City Press and, and I was um, the bureau chief in Nipopo, I, I found myself being more and more interested in doing uh, uh, investigative stories in the province, uh, especially stories of corruption, uh, which um, involved you, Julius Malema, and and many other people in Nimpopo, and 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 what actually surprised me when I started was that, especially in Nimpopo, because it's it's, it's, it's a small province where uh, most of the people um, actually do know each other at a personal level. I realized that whenever I they heard that I was investigating something uh, which had something to do with uh, Julius Malema at the time, and 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 he was the provincial secretary of the ANC Youth League. The majority of them um, would, would, would appear surprised and, and they go like, no, but I sure want to investigate this story. 
And, 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 and for me, it was like an ordinary story. And then I realized that perhaps um, I've got the qualities of, of uh, pursuing investigative journalism on a full-time basis. And, and, and I also realized that regardless of his threats or uh, and name calling and, and, and especially at media press conferences, I was not uh, deterred and I, I wasn't just as touched as many people would feel uh, when they were insulted in front of their colleagues. And, and, and I realized that perhaps um, I'm thick skinned enough to pursue investigative journalism. And that's where the focus uh, uh, became. Uh, were you not uh, afraid two... for your life, though? I mean, were you, quite honestly, I know many investigative journalists who, at the time in the newsroom, they would, we would not know where they were. They'd be given the stories, but we wouldn't know where they were. Were you never afraid for your life? Because I'm sure it must have been threatened, because you have gone after some seriously powerful people. So have you never been afraid for your life? And if your life has been threatened, how have you dealt with that? Look, um, being an investigative reporter doesn't mean uh, you want to turn yourself into some su superhero who would walk uh, uh, across the fire and, and try to swim across uh, the ocean to get to the other side of, 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 of uh, the country. What um, I've always um, done was to um, you know, observe basic safety measures. Uh, without necessarily allowing threads to um, influence my work. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, um, I wouldn't, for example, um, get a call from somebody I, I, I have not met uh, throughout my life in the middle of, of the night saying, come here, I've got a story for you. I wouldn't do that. But at the same time, uh, um, uh, I, would, I would ensure that if I have done a story and I'm sure of my facts, uh, no amount of threats, uh, um, be it legal, uh, be it verbal, be it an insult, would actually prevent me from, uh, uh, you know, pursuing the story uh, to the end. And 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 the threats, um, to be quite honest, have been there. Uh, as investigative journalists, um, we know that um, our work, um, you know, comes with some uh, threats. We don't try to turn ourselves into superheroes. I would walk, um, uh, you know, through the fire and 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 then swim across the rivers to get a story, uh, when we know that it's not safe to do so. And we also, um, you know, make sure that we observe basic safety measures. And this is what I've been doing uh, since I started my career, uh, to a point that um, I wouldn't uh, wake up in the middle of the night because I, I received a call from somebody I I I, I I've never met before saying that I've got a story for you. I've always made sure that I, I observe all those uh, safety measures. But at the same time, uh, um, it, it's a case of uh, striking a healthy balance between uh, being um, thin-skinned and um, um, you know, being able to do your work while observing ba basic safety measures. And, but, but if you can check investigative journalism across the world, it has always been a risky. Uh, uh, enterprise, you know, it's, it's, there's not a single investigative journalist who will tell you that they, they have never faced a threat in their lives. Uh, uh, you know, it will either come from the people that you are investigating or their supporters. Because remember, investigative journalism, unlike um, normal ordinary journalism, you are dealing with the powerful. These are the people who are the decision makers in society and, uh, you know, uh, 
whether you're talking about government officials, whether you're talking about senior politicians, uh, business people, these are the people who have got access to the money, um, uh, uh, you know, whether it's their personal uh, money or money from the state, they can take you to court all the way uh, 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 from, from the magistrate's court to the constitutional court. And then they've got access, limited access to uh, public funds. Uh, they can sue you using government funds. They can take you from Peter to post. So you make sure that even when you do your work, uh, and you are not as clumsy as other people uh, can be and easily get away with 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 it. Uh, um, and, but because it's the risky thing, uh, you, you always expect to be threatened. I mean, I remember when I was uh, in Mpoku, uh, but it's not things that we, we talk about from time to time as investigative journalists because uh, we don't want to be part of the story. When I was in Mpoku, there was a time when I was doing um, investigations into corruption in Mpopo, which involved business, businessmen linked to um, Julius Malema. So there was a time when I was uh, personally threatened, and there was a time when City Press had to arrange a bodyguard for me. And then I spent about three months uh, with, with, with um, a bodyguard, uh, you know, being escorted from one place to the other. And it was because I had received, like, um, uh, real threats. Uh, City Press arranged, um, uh, got a, um, a, a security consultant to assess uh, the threat analysis around me, and then that uh, analysis came back positive. And then uh, because I had, um, within a space of about um, a month, received um, uh, endless death threats, I went to the police station, I opened cases, and, and there was a time when I had a car literally following me from one spot to the other in Bolokwan in the middle of the night. There was a time when I, 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 I was forced to actually drive against in, uh, oncoming traffic in Bolokwan because there was a car which was following me uh, uh, um, and for about, it, it had followed me for about 10 kilometers, but uh, from one side of uh, a town to the other. And I turned and then started driving against oncoming traffic. So all of those um, were taken into consideration. They appointed a security company. They did a threat analysis and it came, kept, 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 came back positive. And then they hired a, a bodyguard uh, for me for about three months. And they moved me from Polokwane to um, Houting uh, for about six weeks and put me into some hotel. I did my work uh, from from here, but but it's not something that is is unique. I mean, uh, you look at people like um, Mziligas. Mziligas also faced the same uh, threat. There was a time when he was bundled into the back of a van. Uh, there was a time when his house was uh, searched, and then some uh, um, you know uh, drugs were actually planted at his house. And there was a time when he was taken to Pumalanga. And, and, and news or sources there from the police later revealed that uh, the people who were taking him there were actually planning to um, force him to spend a night inside the police cell and then get somebody to inject him with a, a dangerous substance. So it, it, it's the things that we know do happen, uh, but um, uh, it's a life that we have chosen. And we know that when we become an investigative journalist, uh, those are the threats that uh, you will face. I mean, if you can check, the, uh, the, there was a report from the International Committee of Journalists, of Investigative Journalists last year. It showed that um, about uh, 2,000 uh, journalists, mainly investigative journalists, 
had been killed uh, the world over, uh, either by the people that they, they, they've been investigating or by their supporters. But we know that uh, it will happen, it may happen, but it's not something that you allow uh, to, to influence you because there should be somebody else who will do those kind of stories, especially if you know that you are not doing them out of an ulterior motive or, or because you are being paid by certain people or because you, you have turned yourself into a hired gun and you are in the pockets of certain people. If you remain true to the profession and then just do your job to the best of your ability and ensure that uh, you stick to the facts and even when you do make mistakes, you are making those mistakes innocently, not because somebody uh, had actually uh, turned you into their hired gun or you were in the pockets of certain people or you had been given money to do stories one way or the other or you were just using your profession to play politics. So I think you've mentioned some really important points that I want to touch on, which is the whole thing in journalism that they call payola. And payola is whether music executives were paying magazines to have them write about their artists and put them on covers, or whether, as you say, it's a certain investigative uh, journalist who um, were paid to, to address a, a particular narrative. And I think what has certainly happened with you is that you have become somebody who your reputation has been um, um, been put into question, your stories have been put into question, your, f from your employers, from going to your employers, and, and, and in any of the employees, I'm just saying going from being somebody that is valued where they will give you a, a bodyguard to simply being somebody who's a persona non grata um, and having other journalists write about you um, badly and just really from somebody who was idealistic coming into it, thinking you're going to talk about the truth to finding your, your place, uh, one interview after another, and as you said, even ordinary people. Um, coming after you and that's because you followed the money you know they say if there's a problem follow the money because the money always leads you to the real um truth how has that been for you having people really question your journalistic integrity i mean how have you dealt with that reality and how have you dealt with the reality secondly of the people with money blocking you from certain things, rightly or wrongly, okay? So people have the right to feel how they feel about the things that you write. But I think on some level, you have been blocked from certain um, things. And you, and you, as you say, you're already, you, as I've said, you're an international, I mean, uh, you've won a lot of awards and you should be somebody that people want, but instead you become this person that people are afraid of. So how have you dealt with this juxtaposition in, in your life? Look, um, let me start with the question of uh, people writing negative stories about me and how I've dealt um, with it. I, I've, I've never um, really been concerned about what um, people say or write about me, especially uh, my media colleagues. And I'll tell you why. The reason is that uh, I know that they're doing that um, uh, on purpose. Uh, the, and the purpose is to force a fixed narrative in South Africa. The problem with uh, the media industry in South Africa currently is that 
you you've got a a, a group of people um, that I call a, a cabal who have sat somewhere and decided that um, they are going to um, you know uh, fix narratives, uh, draw a line between the good and the bad, uh, draw a line between uh, angels and and, and 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 devils, and also allow their personal loyalties as well as political loyalties to influence their, their journalism. In the eyes of, of, of these people, Arad, there are people who are inherently good and there are people who are inherently bad. Regardless of what you do, regardless of the fact, if they believe that Lerato is um, a good person, uh, they'll never see anything bad about you. If they believe that uh, somebody else is a bad person or is a bad leader or uh, and it's a person of who doesn't have a reputation. They'll never see anything good about those people. And, and for me, that has been the problem because it deprived ordinary South Africans of good journalism. It, 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 it deprived people of uh, their right to know and be informed without any distortion. So, so what, what I realized is that I was a good journalist. I mean, um, since my career started, I've won about five, between five and seven uh, awards, uh, whether I talk about uh, CNN, whether I talk about Vodacom, Twice, City Press, Media24, I've won all, almost all of these big awards. I was a very good journalist in their eyes until I started writing stories about the rogue unit which exposed uh, a, a minister, Pravin Gordon, and, and, and other people. Because at that point, their journalism was portraying uh, mostly black people as inherently corrupt, uh, unable to govern, uh, people of low morals, people who didn't know how to do things, and people who lacked innovation, and people who were tenderpreneurs, not entrepreneurs. Uh, 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 for them, that was the narrative. And, and that narrative was fixed. When I started doing investigations and, and my stories proved that that narrative was, was actually flawed because there were also uh, private sector companies which were involved in corruption and I exposed that, uh, uh, whereas most of my colleagues were focusing on the public sector. I, I investigated the, the SARS rogue unit, which proved that uh, um, actually white people and, and, and people of Indian origin at SARS were actually guilty of uh, uh, setting up an illegal unit which they used to harass taxpayers and accept kickbacks. Since that day, Elorado, I never knew peace because in their eyes, um, I was betraying an unwritten rule, a golden rule that will only investigate private sector corruption and that mostly Afri black African people were actually corrupt. And, 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 and I knew right there that I, I, I had actually uh, pissed off a lot of my colleagues. Uh, they started uh, painting me uh, uh, with a black brush. They said I, 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 I was being used by the state security agency to fight so-called good people at SARS. They said that when that didn't work out, they said, no, the rogue unit does not exist. When I proved that it existed, they said, no, 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 it, it does exist, but uh, it was not as rogue as you said. When we produced evidence that it had, it had actually done some of the most illegal things, they said, no, 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 no. It was actually not a rogue unit. It was a high-risk uh, unit at SARS. 
which uh, uh, dealt with um, uh, taxpayer, uh, uh, I mean, uh, doji taxpayers. It also investigated people um, that uh, SARS would not uh, have been able to, to investigate under ordinary circumstances. But, but, but for me, that was neither here or there, uh, uh, because the reality of the matter was that that unit had existed, but their problem, which is still a problem uh, 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 even today, was that the people who were implicated there were the people that they held in high regard, and that's Minister Pravin Gordon, and, 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 and the people who were actually part of that unit uh, were, were mostly white people. So, 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 so the idea of uh, me exposing illegality uh, on the part of white people uh, who reported to somebody they held in high regard, which is Minister Pravin Gordon, and, 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 and exposing a unit whose establishment was actually approved by former finance minister Trevor Manuel was for them the final straw. I, I never knew peace uh, since then. They started calling me names. I didn't care. And, 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 and when the story proved to be true, uh, uh, supporters of Minister Gordon then approached Sunday Times, uh, the management at the time, and asked them to force out the editor, Felicia Opelt. Uh, the, the, the management refused. Uh, they called her uh, to a meeting, spoke with her, and then she told them that, look, these people have got effects. They've given me uh, their effects all step or, 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 of the way. And, and there the, are the documents which I can share with you. They realized that she was not uh, breaking down. They suspended her. Uh, they then said they were putting her on precautionary suspension. They wanted to investigate certain things. And, and then when that didn't work out for them, they then manufactured some scandal and, and accused her of having cost the company five million rand. Why? Because uh, Business Times at the time had reported on a story uh, based on an investigation done by the HSCBC bank in Europe, which exposed um, a lot of people who had worked across the world uh, of having conducted or committed money laundering. And they said these top business people uh, were guilty of money laundering. And one of the guys who was mentioned in that report happened to be um, uh, one of the major advertisers at Sunday Times. He owned some Tom uh, uh, travel agency. And then, and then that travel agency uh, apparently was spending about five million rand a year uh, on the Sunday Times travel page. Yes, so, so is a huge advertiser for the travel pages and the lifestyle Exactly. So, 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 so that person said, he wanted uh, Sunday Times to chuck the store, or he was uh, withdrawing his adverts, you know, and and we wouldn't spend money on the Sunday Times anymore. So they used that because uh, Felicia said to them at the time that look, we can't retract a story based on a threat from an advertiser. The story is factual; it was conducted by a, an international bank. It's not even us writing about that story. We're merely quoting a report uh, 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 which was released by this bank. So, so they then accused her of having cost the company five million rand and said we are suspending. But, but, but we all knew that the, the, the issue was the rogue unit. They suspended her for a couple of months, and then later on they, they reached an out of court settlement with her. She left. They appointed Bongani Sikoko as a replacement. Then what happened? In December of that year, 
there was um, a, a ruling by the Pros Ombudsman, uh, which found that uh, uh, you know aspects of the road news stories were not true. And 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 if you ask me what those aspects were, they said uh, we had reported on a report which we had not seen, uh, uh, which was just read out to us by sources, and therefore uh, it was debatable whether or not that report existed. I went out of my way to actually establish, uh, uh, get a hard copy of that same report. And then we agreed uh, as the final time that we're going to appeal that decision and get it set aside. Then two weeks before uh, uh, that appeal was supposed to be filed, then there were changes. Uh, President Jacob Zuma fired and Zantanen as the finance minister. The markets revolted. He was forced to reappoint uh, uh, Pravin Gordon as the finance minister. When we came back in January, uh, Sunday Times uh, uh, managers, uh, uh, or, you know, Andrew Bonamo and uh, and, and other people said, no, 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 we don't want to appeal anymore. Uh, we think uh, we must find a way of resolving this issue. I then realized, or I was told, that in actual fact, the uh, uh, supporters of uh, Minister Gorda and his advisor, uh, Adrian Lakay, Ivan Pillay, had um, contacted the owners and, 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 and struck a deal with them to help them deal with the rogue unit story and neutralize me suppress the stories, uh, redeploy me, uh, and disband the unit uh, in exchange for assistance with um, uh, advertisements from the private sector. So and, are you and, and, afraid of that happening to, to you uh, going forward? So I have left journalism. I left journalism for similar but not the same reasons of a lack of transformation. Um, mm. I have often said that when you walk past a newsstand, you could swear you're in Italy and not in South Africa where 87% of the uh, people are black. I have worked for different uh, magazine stables and have seen the same thing over and over and over where there's a, a ceiling for black people where you can have the jobs at the bottom, you know, you can be a fiction editor, maybe an editor, but beyond that where you are part of the money, your general manager, your CEO, it gets very few, it gets very few people with melanin. And so I kind of chose to be like, well, I think I need to find another career because this, this, this thing is not working out. I'm too outspoken. Um, I, I just don't know how to shut up. You know, I needed to wear high heels and, and, and some mascara and sell clothes. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to talk about the lack of transformation. So because I was... I had a concern about the, my career hitting a cul-de-sac. I then changed tech. Are you not worried about the same thing? Are you going to continue uh, being a journalist knowing that there are so many people you've pissed off? And I've pissed off people, but you have pissed off. You've, you've quadrupled 10 times my number of people that you've pissed off. So are you not worried about your livelihood being taken away from you? Because people, it is very real to... to see Pete and see him talking about the truth and everything like this. It might sound like it's easy, but everybody has to pay the bills. And so I ask you from one journalist to another who has, has seen what happens when you follow the money. Are you not worried about that for yourself? And what do you want to do in future? Because it seems like it's a crazy thing. I mean, you've started your own publication, which is fantastic, but are you not worried about those 
those money brick walls that you're facing because you're like me. You refuse <laughs> to get out of trouble. <laughs> look, look, Lerato, um, it has happened before, so I, I'm not worried. You will know that um, I resigned on the spot uh, from Sunday Times in 2016 yeah. because of, exactly, in protest against uh, that deal, which I thought was against journalism because um, uh, putting the, the, the company's commercial interest before journalism. And, 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 and that decision to resign on the spot without a job uh, also resulted in a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, criticizing me, saying that, yeah, it's because you don't like so and so. But, but for me, it was a principled decision. And, and, and because I chose to leave, than abide by what I thought was an illegal uh, and unethical decision. That's why most of the people who support Minister Gordon have, have still not, uh, uh, you know, uh, forgiven me. But it has happened for three years. I left mainstream uh, journalism for three years. I started doing my own businesses out there. I hustled for three years, even though I knew that I was actually more than qualified for the kind of things, the things mm -hmm. that I was doing. And even though I knew that I was more experienced and, and, and qualified and, and uh, you know, competent than most of the people who were occupying editorial positions in the newsrooms. I, I wasn't worried. I, I left it. I started my own paper, you know, um, SARS was used to destroy it. Uh, I was given, um, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, clumsy assessments, which were not necessarily in line with what the company owed. But, but I, I, I chose to, um, you know, uh, leave that kind of lifestyle than uh, go back to journalism when I knew I would not be uh, allowed to do the kind of journalism that I wanted to do until uh, I was recruited uh, two years ago by independent media. And and I, I felt that uh, under Dr. Iqbal Selvey's uh, uh, ownership, if independent media was, uh, you know, uh, relatively uh, an easy place to do uh, the kind of journalism that I wanted to do. I was then afforded uh, an opportunity mm -hmm. to come and set up an investigative unit for the, for the group. But but for me, uh, I would rather um, uh, uh, you know go back to hustling again uh, than join other media houses if I know that uh, I'm going to be stifled. I won't be able to do the kind of stories that I think uh, need to be done. I won't be able to tell uh, the stories of um, the country in their entirety, because it's not necessarily true uh, that um, uh, the story of South Africa uh, uh, is only based on public sector corruption. There is private sector corruption. It's also not true that corruption in this country is racialized. It's only black South Africans who are corrupt. But that's not true. And I think some of my stories have uh, managed to prove that uh, 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 that is actually a fallacy. And it's also not true that um, the status quo, the, the economic status quo in this country uh, or, or, or unemployment is the result of black people being lazy. Uh, if you drive around the Lerato, uh, if you, whether you drive to Soweto or you drive to uh, Santen, you will find a group of black people, uh, uh, you know, at some corner somewhere asking for jobs, but, but there are people who would say uh, black South Africans are not getting jobs because they are lazy? Why will Larato wake up in the morning and stand in the sun there uh, throughout the day, hoping to get a good Samaritan who would offer them a peace job if they are lazy? You know, but 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 I I just believe that the South African story is not being told uh, in the main by some of my, our colleagues in the other media house. 
in its entirety. And, 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 and that's what I've always tried to do with my journalism. So my last question is a two-pronged question to you. Um, we have both, and with other people, realized how untransformed the media is, right? We know it is not because of the people who own it, okay? And rightly or wrongly, if you own something, it's yours. You can do whatever you want to do with it. But my question isn't to what is it going to take for us to see, see real transformation in South African media? And when I say real transformation, I don't mean saying we are level whatever, whatever, BEE, we've got X amount of black people who work for us. Because remember, to say your, your, your organization is diverse, it does not mean your organization is inclusive. Because inclusivity means when the, when the big decisions are made, there are all kinds of people who represent different people in the organization who are in there. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of inclusion in media. So there's diversity at the bottom, but not much inclusion. So the first question is, what is it going to take for true transformation to happen in journalism? And secondly, my last question is, is there hope? Um, and what can us as uh, journalists, former journalists do, uh, particularly those of us who are black, what can we do to move things uh, forward, because you've said, you know, you know, people, the public shouldn't trust in ma mainstream uh, media. We hear people talk about fake news all the time, and so it seems like we chose a career, and I include myself and many other people from uh, uh, sport all the way to to investigative journalism, who feel like we chose a career that now seems to be dying. So, is there something we can do as black journalists? both in and, and, and out of the uh, um, profession. And what will it take uh, to see, a, what could be a real catalyst to transformation in South African media? Look, uh, Larato, there are a few things which need to happen for a real transformation in South African media to, to take place. And that is um, structural transformation uh, from an ownership pattern point of view, uh, to um, uh, management, uh, um, the, the, the narratives, uh, the newsrooms, and, 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 and also uh, to stop racialized narratives. I'll tell you what I, what, what I mean by structural transformation. The, the, I'm, I'm actually glad that you touched um, the issue around the difference between inclusivity and transformation. Um, um, a lot of people have always been confusing the two because they think uh, when they see a lot of black people walking across the newsrooms, uh, that in itself represents transformation. And that's not necessarily transformation. Transformation or, uh, uh, is when ownership patterns are transformed. It, it's very strange, Larato, that um, uh, um, around 1990, before the new dawn of democracy, uh, we had the big four. Uh, 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 in the media, owning almost all newspapers. And, and that's independent media where I am now, Arena uh, uh, and Holdings, you're talking Media 24, uh, Naspers, and then uh, you're also uh, talking about uh, the, the, the Mail and Guardian group. Since 1990, when we grew up, 
those were the four companies which owned almost all the newspapers in the country. Mm -hmm. 26 years into democracy, uh, very little has changed. You still don't have, uh, with the exception of one or two uh, uh, owners, you still don't have anybody owning any uh, serious titles. And, and, and that in itself is a reason why we can't talk about transformation because one, the, the people who own the media houses are the ones who appoint editors. Editors are not elected at a conference. They, they get appointed by the news editor, by the owners, and these owners give them what they call a brief, which is what they would like to see happening to their newspapers or their form and shape. They would like yeah. to see their newspapers taking. And, and, and based on that, that then cascades down to the newsrooms in a form of narrative. And the narrative is, um, you know, which stories are actually important for this particular newspaper based on the brief from the owners. And then the editors clearly are in, uh, uh, would be executing a brief from the owners. And then if the owner says, for example, I want my newspaper to uh, promote transformation or to hold um, uh, the government accountable, that's when we see all these journalists running around investigating corruption because the owners expect their papers to hold the government accountable. Mm. But but if the owners say, uh, look, we want our paper to target uh, the, 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 the black middle class, or we want our paper to ensure that um, there is, um, the status quo in the country is defended. You see most of these newspapers uh, uh, basically uh, defending the status quo. Uh, uh, they target people who demand economic transformation, they target people who demand land, uh, 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 and the target people who whose political views are deemed problematic. So, so for me, you can't have a, a real transformation if ownership patterns are not transformed. But 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 um, uh, uh, you also realize that the government, in my view, has actually uh, not been doing what it ought to have done. There was a time when um, the, the 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 charter was actually released by the government. Uh, saying that uh, media owners were given uh, about um, they, they were given about six years until 2013 to ensure that uh, their uh, companies uh, complied with the Triple B Charter by ensuring that at least 25 percent of the shares were owned by Black South Africans. That was never done, and what what, what is it that the government did about it? Nothing. So 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 if the government, which can actually force transformation does not impose it, then then then, then there's uh, very little hope. And secondly, even when we have private people like you and I establishing their own media houses because they don't want to be included or accommodated, the reality of the matter is that the value chain or the private sector advertisers are still majority of them white. And 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 they 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 because they don't want transformation. They don't support uh, media houses like yours and I uh, to ensure that uh, they, they they become sustainable. They don't support that. The government also does not use uh, its stick, which is the ad spend. It's worth about a billion rand uh, uh, per annum. It, it has not been using it to impose transformation by, for example, setting aside uh, uh, you know an ad spend for small emerging black media houses because. You cannot have, not have um, a media company owned by Lerato, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, which is established now, 
and suddenly going into the market to compete against NASPERS uh, 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 independent media and, and, and arena because you, you, you really do not have the means to compete uh, with them. You don't have the distribution network to compete with them. And you also don't have the capital to compete with them because you are owning a single title. They own a group of, uh, say, uh, 10 titles. When they approach advertisers, they give them discounts based on the number of titles which uh, the adverts are going to appear in. So, so as a Lerato, you can't give them that huge discount because you don't have the means. But if they, for example, Arena uh, goes out to meet advertisers, they say, if you spend this amount of, 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 uh, of money on us, we're going to give you discounts in the Sunday Times, we'll give you a free advert in the Sovietan, we'll give you a free advert here and there. You and I are not, are not able to offer at the market such uh, uh, you know uh, rates or, or, or advantages so so even that has been a problem and and and, and the other reason is that even some of the um, uh, people who got appointed uh, in our newsrooms uh, black editors they've not been helpful a lot because um, um the majority of them at least in my view uh, uh, do not appear to have transformative agendas of their own they, they seem to be just happy to be given a position and then maintain the status quo. Even when they are editing a newspaper, you don't get a sense that this paper is now edited by a, a black person. You see, you still see anti-black narratives. You still see um, headlines like, I'll give an example. Recently I was laughing with, with one of my friends because there was um, a, a, an incident in Cape Town where landless people, uh, identified a piece of land and went there and erected the sheds. I mean, almost all the headlines the following day were saying land invasion. How how could you call landless people um, uh, who have erected sheds because uh, they were uh, victims of storms somewhere else, land invaders, when one, uh, to begin with, that is even a, a, a municipal piece of land, uh, uh, but in a country where uh, according to the last uh, report, uh, uh, you know, 13 uh, percent of this uh, uh, country, uh, uh, um, as people um, who are white, are actually controlling more than 70 percent of land. Nobody has been writing stories about uh, land redistribution problems. Nobody has been writing stories about the fact that black people are still cramped in the townships because they don't have access to land. Uh, all they do is to wait for those black people to invade, I mean, to occupy a piece of land, and they are called land invaders. But the people who own the majority of uh, 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 the land in the country, some of whom do not even use uh, those pieces of land, are never uh, 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 labeled land occupiers or people who uh, 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 are hogging the land and they don't want to share it with their fellow black South Africans. So, but that you can see that we're still having a problem because. Even when we have black editors occupying those positions, uh, it doesn't, uh, in in most cases, translate to uh, uh, you know fair narratives which reflect black people as human beings, black people as innovative. Because, as I say, you know, not everybody. <laughs> people are happy to stay out of trouble to get a paycheck and and you know go to Dubai um, on holiday. Um, so, you know, we can't all do the same thing. 
I guess my last question to you, Pete, is do you have any regrets throughout the last six, seven years? A lot has happened and um, it's affected you uh, in all kinds of ways. And while, as you say, you are the assistant editor um, at Independent Media, you do have uh, African Times, but is there anything that you regret that you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that? Or you're just like, I did what was right at the time. Um, what's, what's your feeling about everything that has happened, knowing that your story is still long, you know? Look, Lerato, I, I regret nothing whatsoever. In <laughs> fact, I'm satisfied um, with what I've done or said over the past six years. I'm content with um, uh, my journalism. I'm content with the stories I've broken. And, and, and if given an opportunity, I'll actually do more uh, 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 you know, than what I have done. What I think um, ought to be happening in Iraq is that people need to understand that journalism is not um, a career where you, um, you want to do stories because you want to be liked. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think of money. I don't expect to be liked by everybody. But there are stories which need to be told because one, they are a true reflection of reality. Two, uh, they're in the best interest of the country. Three, uh, they should be told without fear uh, 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 or favor. And, 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 and the fact that they are um, a source of information for ordinary South Africans to be able to uh, decide what is it that they want to do uh, with their own lives. For example, I see my job as uh, that of feeding people with information to help them take key decisions. If I don't give them the truth about the socioeconomic and political state of this country, how do I expect them to take informed decisions when they vote in the next uh, uh, local government or national election? If I don't tell them that there is corruption in this country, how do I expect them to uh, keep on trusting the, uh, their rulers in this country because uh, I don't give them information to be able to hold them accountable. Uh, how do I expect them to then uh, engage with their rulers uh, with, uh, from an informed point of view if I don't give them information? But I know that um, uh, uh, journalism is a career where the elites or the decision makers have got direct interest uh, either because they are spending uh, public funds uh, advertising in the media organizations or uh, their friends uh, or their business associates are actually investors in those media companies. So they have got um, a, you know, a direct interest, but it's not a career that you can do because you want to be liked. Hence, I've not really uh, uh, you know, been worried about what people say about me. But what, what is of interest like that is that the majority of the people, in fact, all of these people who have been saying a lot of things about me, can never uh, uh, give you one single incident where I was found wanting by a court of law or where I was forced to write a front page apology. All my stories have always been solid. They just don't like the fact that the people being exposed are their favorites. They don't like the fact that the narrative being uh, uh, pursued uh, is not suitable for their socioeconomic and political needs. They also don't like the fact that the people who are being held accountable are the people that they want to portray as, uh, 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 you know, saints who are not capable of doing anything wrong. And they also don't like the fact that you are giving people alternative narratives 
they want to tell the country uh, a single uh, dominant narrative, which is that um, uh, uh, one, this country, in, in, in the past, in fact, until uh, um, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa became the president, their, their, their narrative was that the country had gone to the dogs, uh, the country was uh, a, a center of corruption, and that black people were actually messing up everything in the country. The same people uh, today, they, are, well, they want to set a narrative that everything is rosy rose in the country, nothing is wrong, and then people are complaining about the same things which they were writing about some time ago. I actually disgruntled people who don't appreciate what the good that the current leadership is doing. And then if people complain about uh, uh, lack of land, they want to say these people um, uh, uh, do not deserve land because they were previously given land and they misuse that uh, piece of land. But the rate of the matter is that we know uh, uh, land redistribution has never been done as extensively as, as it should it should have. And we also know that um, uh, the, the, the levers of the economy in this country are still in the hands of the majority white people. Uh, you look at the quarterly labor force survey, it will tell you that uh, unemployment is still rampant in this country. Uh, as we speak now, uh, two million people have lost their jobs, and the majority of, of those people are actually blacks. Whether you look at the uh, uh, employment equity statistics, uh, they keep on saying that um, uh, you know the the majority of the people who are in charge of uh, uh, our companies or, or, or the industry in this in this country are white males. But these people are not intending to write those kinds of stories, and then those who write about them are then deemed problematic and they are demonized and then they are they are they are, they are labeled as uh, you know so-called RET forces or people who uh, do not have credibility but i'm not personally worried about that because i don't expect the people that i am competing with or i'm competing uh, 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 you know i'm competing with for information to be the ones who are saying that look Pete is actually the best journalist i i am not even doing my job because i want their approval for me, I value the approval and judgment of readers and because these are the people that I wake up in the morning and I strive to serve. I, I, don't, I don't really uh, get concerned about what uh, the, you know, my media colleagues are saying, especially if the things that they are raising uh, uh, can't be taken to court and I'm found wanting, or they can't present alternative facts. Uh, because it's one thing to say, Larato is not a good person, Larato is this and that. And, and, and it's quite another to say, look, Leratus actually said one, two, and three, but in actual fact, these are the facts. This is where Leratus got it wrong. But with them, especially when it comes to me, they just speak in general terms. No, this person is not a good person. You know, Pete is this and that. But for me, I, I am really not worried because if you can go on social media now and check the reception uh, 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 that my stories receive compared to uh, the one received by uh, some of my own rivals or competitors in the, in, in the media. You will see that people don't even believe those people. You will see that people uh, uh, don't trust what, they, 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 what, is, what, what is written by those people. But these are the same people who want to come out and say, no, but Pete doesn't have credibility. But they are so, they're, their own stories are not credible to a point that uh, ordinary people do not believe them. And these are also the same people who uh, when I broke the story about the PPE corruption, the initial two weeks, they were, they were saying that, no, I will, we're not sure whether these stories are true. Three weeks later, they were all over uh, the show, running around and then writing about the same stories 
even plagiarizing some of those stories without crediting me, but they will never go out there and say, no, we actually uh, following up, we are actually following up on Pete's story. Uh, for them, they like my work, they, they don't like me, uh, but it's neither here nor there because I'm, I'm not doing my work to get their approval or, uh, uh, their, I mean, to satisfy them. Uh, I'm just doing this job to make sure that the country uh, uh, remains informed and that people are given information which is credible, information which is not distorted, information which is not politically motivated, and information which is not sanitized, but just getting it raw as it is to help them uh, 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 you know, make informed decisions. Well, he has no regrets. He's here to serve you. And if it's a stone or boulder, Peter Ampedi will move it to get to the truth, um, just so you can decide for yourself um, what's what. So whether it's the CR17 campaign or the uh, SARS rogue unit, or indeed the PE scandal that we had here, PPE scandal that we had here in South Africa during the this COVID-19 pandemic, he will go and find the truth and serve it to you. And it's up to you to decide what to do with it. Peter Ampedi, thank you so much for joining me today on Relevant. It was a great conversation. Great to speak to another um, journalist, at least one who's in the trenches more than me. Long will you keep fighting. And uh, thank you for this time. Uh, Lato, thank you so much. And just uh, my parting shot there, you just reminded me uh, of the fact that the people who keep on saying that um, I am not doing a good job, uh, I'm not a credible journalist. Over the past year, since I came back to mainstream journalism, the stories that were mentioning, uh, the CR17 bank statements, the PPE scandal, uh, the the story about uh, the president misleading parliament uh, and 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 many other stories. These are the stories which I broke alongside uh, my colleagues Mzi and 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 Karabo. And these are the stories which um, have been hogging the headlines. You know, they're just coming up with alternative angles. But but those are the stories which we broke. And 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 because we broke these stories, and then they don't like us. They don't even credit us. All they're saying is that, no, no, they're not credible. But the stories which dominated the headlines over the past uh, a year or so, the majority of them were actually broken by ourselves uh, as Sunday Independent uh, and, 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 and the investigative unit there. But uh, it's, it's not something that we are worried about. I personally, I'm not worried about because um, uh, it's not a case. It's not a popularity context. It's, it's a case of doing your job to the best of your ability to keep the nation informed and to be loyal to them and, 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 and nobody else. As I say, he's here to serve you. If there's a stone or bold or whatever it is, he will move it to get to the truth. Um, he is the president of the Forum of Journalists for Transformation. Thank you so much. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you so, so much, Pete, for joining us. My pleasure, and thanks for having me. Cool. Remember, you can catch our, my conversation with uh, Pete on my YouTube channel. Go to leratoshabala.com to also watch it. And don't forget to subscribe to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Relevant is on every week. We will chat soon. Bye, everyone.